Hi Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. And we are a psychology and history podcast. Except for today, where we are a cult and cult-adjacent podcast. That is correct. Once a month-ish, we do a cult episode, you guys. And we look forward to this all month long, just as I know you do. Because it's fun! You know, you just gotta mix it up a little bit. So, last week we were talking about the psychology of cults. Here we are talking about cults themselves. Mm. But first... There's more. There's more. Okay, so we are talking about The Princess Bride, which is, God, it's such a good movie. We'll get into all of it. So, when I was preparing for today, I was like, I need to get my Princess Bride book down and do some cross-referencing. Sure, sure. Because it's been probably 10 years since I've read it. I've never actually read it. It's good. I will let you borrow this book. Thank you so much. I would appreciate that. So, when I opened this book, I found a note from the person who gave this book to me, which is my friend, Flaudia. Aw, that's so sweet. And it got me thinking about, like, kind of ritualistic things that you do with people that you love. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I really want to get more into it i'll let i'm gonna hand it to you okay it's sweet it made me cry thank you so much (laughs) (laughs) oh i know what isn't that sweet they are so sweet i love them love to love i'm not gonna read the rest of it because it feels personal so i'll let you Okay, it says, thanks for helping me believe in miracles again. Thank you. See. I'm such a good friend. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, you know, it it makes me think about, like, my sister and I would leave each other notes. I know that's, like, really, like, a a lot of couples do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, is there anything that you and Farron do that's, like, I mean, we have texting now, which makes things a lot easier. But is there anything that you guys do just to say, hey, I'm thinking about you? Um, so... Whenever I am not with her, like if I've gone on a trip somewhere, I send her flowers. Oh, that's sweet. Recently, it was really cute. So, you know Marcel the Shell uh, from like yeah, early YouTube? Farron had never seen Marcel oh the Shell. Oh my god. Is Marcel a boy or a girl? Unclear at this time. Okay. So, I introduced Farron and the girls to Marcel the Shell. And not to brag, but I do a pretty decent Marcel voice. Oh my god, do it. Say, I have a couple of friends coming from upstate to eat salad. Um, I I have a couple of friends coming from upstate to eat salad. <laughs> That's good. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Marcel, hey. and I'm mostly a shell, <laughs> but I also have shoes on <laughs> and a face, and I like that about myself. Um, so Farron left me a little shell on my phone charger that looks like Marcel's shell. Cute. And then I put it back on her side, and then she put it back on my side, and now it's, like, just bopping around the house. That's cute. Yeah, super cute. Um, I'm trying to think. This guy that I never really dated, but kind of dated... In college, I don't, and I don't even remember why. It's some inside joke that it was has long been gone. But I would leave eleven cents huh. on his car or like on bedside tables when I left or something like that. It was like eleven, 11 cents. cents. I eleven don't know. cents. I like that. Unclear. One of the things I love about our friendship is if either of us is ever traveling up to DC, we send each other pictures of the Marlboro. Sign. Marlboro. Hardest word to say. Marlboro. Look it up. Yep. So that's a throwback. But I still do it. I still think of you every time I pass it. Oh, 100%. I haven't passed it in a long time. Every time I buy a carton of Marlboros, I think of you. (laughs) (laughs) Although I did buy a pack of cigarettes from a cigarette vending machine at a bar like two weeks ago. I know. At Westerwood, they have a fucking cigarette machine. I was like, what? It was like $12 for this pack of cigarettes. But I was like, I gotta have this. For sure. For sure. The things we do. I love that. No, I I think that 
so off so when you're young your friends are your whole world right mm-hmm. and then you start dating and then you learn like balancing friends and the person you're dating which i think is especially hard when you're queer mm-hmm. because a you've dated all your friends <laughs> and b like the relationship feels different i think than if you're in a straight relationship i'm not sure mm-hmm. who am i to say to be to be yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but um, I think at some point we kind of lose this idea of romanticizing our platonic friends. Mm-hmm. And I really love that you have that relationship with so many people. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I love everybody. I know. Not, well, that's not well, true. We love the people I love. We everybody love. in my bridal party. Yeah. And a couple more. A couple more people. There are a few more people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of the basics. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is, we've talked about this a hundred times, but it, it is hard to develop new relationships as we get older. And it's so hard. There's just nothing like having your foundational yeah. relationships. Oh my gosh. Speaking of bridal party, I was talking with my dad recently and he brought up this friend that I've literally never heard of before. And hmm. he was like, oh, he was one of the, the, what do they call them? Groomsmen. Groomsmen. Thank you. He was one of the groomsmen in my wedding. I was like, who the fuck is this person that I've <laughs> literally never heard of? It's like, have I ever met him? He said no. I was like, oh, well, that's odd. I've met every other groomsman except for this one. So I am understanding more that men's friendships and relationships can be different. Oh, yeah. Totally like, different. Raised like... Um, Oh, I'm going out with so-and-so. He's my best friend. But then they haven't talked in, like, three months. Whereas if I go two days without talking to one of you guys, I feel like I'm out of the loop. I, so I feel like I do that a little bit. I'm like, uh, if I don't see you in person, it's really hard for me to connect, especially since COVID. Mm -hmm. Since COVID, texting is hard, phone calls, FaceTime, Zoom, like, all of it's hard. In person, like, I'd much rather see people. Oh, for sure. Um, But I can go, like, weeks and months without talking to... I mean, I have a best friend whose wedding I'm about to be in, and we have not talked on the phone for more than 30 minutes in probably six months. Mm -hmm. That's okay, though. It's okay. Adult friendships are weird. Oh, 100%. They're so weird, and we're all just navigating it together. It's not the same as somebody, which happened to me, reaching out after not seeing or speaking to them for 10 years right right them that was you different their bridal party yeah definitely different mm-hmm. um no this person like we get together once a year and we like spend a week together usually mm-hmm. but outside of that we don't talk as much as we used to but yeah. doesn't mean we're not close no 100 percent. i mean ray could have you know somebody could be going through a divorce and you'd be like oh my god what happened he'd be yeah. like i don't know i didn't ask <laughs> and you're like what that sounds like my brother for sure yeah, i didn't want to pry yeah okay yeah well, what are we supposed to you know take apart when you get home from your social activities <laughs> what are we gonna talk about how are we gonna unpack it if you how don't know what unpack? happened yeah men are so different i know i'm um, learning very slowly yeah i'm learning vicariously mm-hmm. so that's great yeah um but no i was talking to my brother about it and he was like i don't have anyone that i talk to every day i was like "Mm, you have a girlfriend who lives with you right and he he was like i know but i could go most of the day and probably not talk to her too well i will say that there's two there's two relationships one where you feel obligated to communicate with them sure and the other where you don't right which is where we want to be yeah I don't want to feel like, ugh, I got, oh, I forgot. Oh, it's Let me new. check in. Yeah, yeah, fuck that shit. No, 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 I agree. The level of independence that you need to have in to be able to, like, be a fully formed, functioning adult is really, mm. it comes through in your relationships, too. Oh, 100%. Do you know who doesn't have healthy relationships? Who? This guy that we're about to talk about in my cult. You are so good at these transitions. <laughs> Teach me your ways. You just got to... We've been doing this for two seasons now. Two seasons. I gotta open up my computer. I'm behind. Here we go. Here we Girl go. Girl dinner. Girl dinner. Are you ready? 
my uterus is where it should be. Perfect. Okay. So Young Myun Sok was born in South Korea, March 16th, 1945. So he was a Pisces. Pisces. Little is known about his life before 1974, but this is the year that he joined the Unification Church. Do you remember them from season one, you guys? I sure do. They were the ones that had the mass weddings. That's right. And the the relationship between, like, the sexual relationship. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Were there, was there a child bride component, or am I missing? There was not a child bride component, okay. but it was the... All the other, like, fixtures. It was the sex between uh, married people and the children that they would procreate. Right. Would create that would um, fix some of the original sins. Yes. From, yep. from Adam and Eve. It's all coming back to me now. So, he joined this church in 1974. Well, guess what? It only took him six years after that for him to break from the Unification Church and to create his own. When a cult begets a cult. The audacity. The unmitigated gall. <laughs> In 1980, Young founded Uchun Church, which was actually affiliated with the Methodist Church. Really? Yes. Huh. They called it Providence. This cult literally has a hundred names. Okay. Founding, it was called Providence. And we will go into a, uh, a bunch of different other uh, names for it. Currently, it is called JMS. Okay. I'm gonna probably need like a spider graph. Perfect. At some a spider point graph. <laughs> of like uh-huh. how all of these are connected. Christian gossip. Oh, gossip. Oh, no. Christian gospel mission is another name for it and it has different names like we said depending on which region you're in providence or providence church in europe and the u.s is what it's called sitsuri which is japanese for providence in japan the bright moon church or the morning star church and jesus morning star jms jms jesus but also it's also the initials of Young Mun Sok. Ah, so, so we got do a little with that what you will link up mm-hmm. shrimp basket combo. The group taught that Young was, you guessed it, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Of course he was. Obviously, the Methodist Church was like, what the fuck, <laughs> what the actual fuck, and caught all affiliations with them after this statement. Sure, came out. sure. They're like, guys, you you can't. You can't do that. No, no. The name of the organization was changed to the International Christian Association about five years later. This really does have a hundred names. I know. But much like the Unification Church, this organization taught the series of unpublished, like, um, lessons. There were 30 lessons that were outside of what was going on in the traditional bible or christian texts so he's creating his own texts yes but they're more they're they're not not, it's not a holy book it's just these 30 ideas okay cool so the unification church has the same thing so he's basically copying them those are called divine principles the lessons are based on numerological interpretations of when jesus's return is supposed to be slash the second coming of Christ. Sure. And let me guess, they all point to him. Ding, ding, ding. One of the lessons also states that if you do not personally meet with young, like have a one-on-one meeting, you may not go to heaven. Oh, that's a new twist. Mm -hmm. So one other lesson states that defying him is basically a one-way ticket to hell. They also teach that the Bible is a metaphor, which means that it should not be taken literally, which is a total 180 from a lot of other religious organizations. Right. Who want you to buy this thing hook, line, and sinker. Right. Don't question. Right. So that does a couple things, which I think is probably one of the more problematic, uh, or the way that people can manipulate religious texts Sure. Is you can just make it say whatever you want to. So that that is something for for those followers to look out for. Although 
if you bend it enough times, it'll always make sense. That's a new saying I just made up. Write that down. <laughs> 30 principles. So one of these examples of the Bible not be taken literally would be when Eve ate from the tree. He's saying that this is a metaphor of the sexual act between her and the fallen angel. The fruit being her vagina. Sure. Et cetera, et cetera. Someone pointed out recently that God may have actually made that commandment of Adam before Eve showed up. Like, don't eat the fruit was told to Adam, but maybe Eve didn't hear it, which is a interesting thought. Now I want to go back and, like, fact check that. Hmm. Do you have any insight? Um, no. Okay. Not memory, no. Cool, cool, cool. We'll come there back are to two it. Crea- there, are not two, there are two creation stories, though. One where she's made from the earth. The other... She's uh, made from his rib. From a rib. Yeah. So they also make the connection between God and man as the relationship between bride and groom or two lovers. Ooh. Does this sound familiar? Scandalous. Just like the Unification Church, the original sin was caused by Eve's sexual relationship with the angel who turned into Satan. Sure. This church teaches that your own sins can be wiped clean by having sex with, you guessed it, young. Of course. So they obviously had to get creative with recruitment because this sounds absolutely terrifying. And of course, like many cults, the grooming process starts with love bombing and slowly moves into the darker side. JMS set up shop at all top universities in Korea. They started engaging with the community, almost advertising as more of like an active group or a club. Once you join the activities club, you would start hearing about some of the religious ideologies and of a man who had read the Bible 2,000 times. Even once a day for three years, you're only just halfway. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of times. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Um, so, by activities, like... Like sports activities. Sure. Like volleyball. But they're just kind of getting you primed and ready to, like, move on to, like, sexual activities. Yeah, so it gets it gets messy, too, because, um, you know, Young is focused on the women. There, But there are also, of course, men who join this organization. So... Um, during the the time that you know in the in the 80s there was a climate in Korea where there there were basically two groups of people one was like people were turning to religion or people were turning to politics and like anti-political oh, movements yeah so um this one was kind of a happy medium in the fact that it relieved you of you know, being awareness, not not aware, but it kind of distracted you from day-to-day sure. dramas, but did have a religious undertone, undertone, which was appealing to people. Which then became an overtone. Correct. Okay, got it. And then it became a copper tone. <laughs> so they said he read the book a thousand, 2,000 times. Um, so Young would travel from one city or university to another and give a detailed sermon. A lot of people really enjoyed the deeper thinking that Jung provided. He asked people to think, do they really think that everything in the Bible was literal and true? He looked at the Bible through a scientific and academic lens, and he encouraged his followers to do the same. So this would have been really refreshing for people, especially in a university setting, who were looking for and loved the idea of religion, but didn't love the one-size-fits-all take that some... I think that that's really relatable for a lot of people, especially, mm-hmm. like, folks our age who are looking for something a little bit more or deeper yeah. than what Absolutely. our parents or grandparents experienced. So, I can see, mm-hmm. like, he might be onto something here. Absolutely. Once the group began to grow, they expanded out of South Korea, again, targeting universities. For those who were in school and could not donate monetarily to the organization, they would be asked to go out into the communities and raise funds for the poor. This money, of course, that was being raised from the po- for the poor was directly going back into the church. Naturally. It was in the late 80s, early 90s that a new tactic was used for recruiting. 
the young women who were in the group were sent in pairs to try to attract other women to join the group. It began to be noticed that a lot of the women joining the organization around this time were taller than 5'7", which was a preference for young. Which is also tall. That is tall. Yeah. Are you 5'7"? Yes. Okay. But I, I'm... Uh, Asian women tend to be shorter. Sure, sure. I'm just thinking, like, a lot of the people I know mm-hmm. would not meet that requirement. Yeah. So he's looking very, very specific demographic. Correct. Like, someone who's educated and curious, but also still malleable um, and easily persuaded. Mm-hmm. And also 5'7". Correct. Or taller. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Does he have, like, any other physical requirements or just 5'7 or taller? Um, th- well, they all, uh, they're 5'7", beautiful, fair skin, long, dark sure. hair. How tall is he? I have no idea. I'm wondering if he's taller or shorter than 5'7". Because probably that would be really, or no, well, probably. that'd be really interesting. I can look it up. Like, is this a Napoleon situation? <laughs> right. Okay, if we have time at the end, I'll look it up. Okay, cool. It was during uh, the visits to various campuses that he would have time to do these one-on-one meetings with individuals. And How convenient. And, you know, as we know, part of what allows you to go to heaven is to have a one-on-one meeting with him, um, which is really, really great for those who are participating in this cult. It gives yeah. you time with the your prophet. It was reported that during these closed-door meetings, trigger warning, Young would sexually assault and rape his victims. He would do this under the guise of a medical examination, and Young would often take advantage of these women and girls, some of which were underage. Oh. I mean, it sucks for everyone. Yeah. But... In 1999, several sex crime allegations were named against Young after a television program aired with in-person interviews and testimonials. After this aired, Young fled Korea before formal charges were filed against him. He fled to China, where he remained in basically self-exile, but also regular exile. But because he wasn't exiled, they wanted to extradite him back. Right. Um, But he lived in China for several years. During his time in China, the organization continued to post his sermons online, recruit, and provided telephone counseling with Young himself. Young would also travel. In fact, he traveled to Japan very often until 2002. He was reported to have stayed in the home of a follower, converting and sexually assaulting 10 female followers per day fuck under the pretense of these health examinations besides being prosecuted in south korea young also was indicted by the taiwanese district prosecutor's office on charges of rape in 2003 but failed to appear in court he remained wanted by the Taiwan Taipei district prosecutor's office until until the arrest warrant expired expires in 2027. This next excerpt is from our friends at Wikipedia. Sponsored by. Sponsored by. Young was arrested in Hong Kong in July 2003 for overstaying his visa, but was released three days later on bail. When Hong Kong authorities approved extradition to Korea... Young fled the extradition hearing. A red notice was issued on Young in 2003 for multiple counts of fraud, sexual crimes, and embezzlement. In 2006, South Korean authorities put Young on an international wanted list on rape charges. And there were nine charges and accusations against him filed to South Korean prosecutors by October 2006. I'm glad that people spoke up. 
I know that absolutely that's, like always hard and still for there to only be nine when we can imagine that there were so much more if he was doing what 10 a day mm-hmm. but yeah. bravo to those people who did speak up absolutely in February 2007, fingerprints of Young from South Korea were requested. He was then thought to be in Costa Rica under false documentation. How the hell did he get to Costa Rica? I mean, I can assume how he got there. Right. But, like, Costa Rica? He's got lots of friends in high places. Young was then reportedly hiding in China after escaping Hong Kong in 2003. After about eight years on the run... Chinese Ministry of Public Security announced that Young had been arrested in Beijing by Chinese police on May 1st, 2007. Young was questioned by the Chinese authorities for the sexual assault he allegedly committed in China. The Liaoning Provincial Higher People's Court ruled in September 2007 to extradite Young, a decision upheld by the Supreme People's Court. He was extradited back to South Korea to stand charges in February 2008. Young was also charged with fraud and embezzlement of church funds. Seoul prosecutors indicted him on five charges of sexual assault of five female followers from 2001 to 2006 in Hong Kong. Young was initially convicted on three counts of rape, acquitted on one count, And one case was dismissed because the victim dropped the charges. Oh, my gosh. He was sentenced to six years of imprisonment in 2008. An appeal court added four more years to his sentence in 2009, convicting him of all four charges of rape between 2001 and 2006. In April 2009, Young Mung Sok was convicted of four counts of rape by the Supreme Court of Korea and was sentenced to those 10 10 years in prison. During his incarceration from 2008 to 2018, young sermons and directives were delivered through visitors to the prison and through his successor, Young Jo Un. Members of the Providence Church, or JMS, now mostly known as the Christian Gospel Movement, tried to downplay their religious ties when they were proselytizing and trying to convert other people. They often recruited members from shopping malls and university campuses in Taiwan, Japan, and Australia. Other new members are recruited from student clubs and universities. They are, like we we said earlier, they're kind of, you know, they get in through these clubs before they're introduced to the Providence and JMS doctrine and subjected to, you know, the the sermons of, of Young. I think it's so interesting, and this kind of touches on what we were talking about last week, but the desire for connection, which is why so many young people join clubs, especially in colleges, like you've moved away from your friends, you're now in this new environment, have a desire to connect with other people with similar values, and then all of a sudden you're in a cult. Yeah. Like, you look around and don't know how you got there. Oh, yeah. And that has to be terrifying. We're also so young. I mean, you're 18 when you go to college a lot of times. Your brain's not even fully developed when you graduate from college. Like, you still got at least five more years of baking before that brain's fully done. Gotta keep that bun in that oven. Yeah, exactly. So, you're picking out and targeting young, impressionable people who just want to connect, and then all of a sudden, they're being sexually assaulted Mm -hmm. and, you know, brought into... A really terrifying situation. Absolutely. And he's doing this from jail still. Yeah. Okay. Even worse. For those 10 years. Right, right. He's out now. Oh, shit. According to former members, some female followers are then introduced um, after, you know, their indoctrination. They're introduced as spiritual brides for the leader and coerced or forced into the sexual relationships with their, you know, messiah. In 2014, Australian public broadcast SBS aired a feature called Inside Providence, the Korean church cult led by a convicted rapist, in which former Australian members described how they were encouraged to write letters, send photos of themselves in bikinis, and visit Young in jail. Members are encouraged to ignore news on Young's imprisonment 
and alleged crimes, claiming he is a messiah suffering for them. Mm. So they're like, don't Google him. They're just, don't you worry know, about he's, it. Yeah, he's just being persecuted for our beliefs. Right. He's a martyr. Right. Well, and I wonder how much of this bullshit he himself buys. Like, and, and I wonder, right, I wonder this about a lot of the cult leaders that we talked about. Like, some of them, it feels very obvious that they're truly bought in hook, line, and sinker into whatever it is they're saying. And then others, I look around, I'm like, do you actually, or are you aware that you're manipulating the hell out of people? Right. Like, to claim that you're the second coming of Jesus out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And now to have your own following and, like, force people to sleep with you, it's obviously manipulation, but how aware? Right. That's a great question. I'm not sure. And there is no answer. Like, we'll never know. In the 2023, or in a 2023 interview, a source confirmed that members were indoctrinated to believe that Young was wrongfully accused. Mm Mm-hmm. Young was released from jail on February 18th, 2018. So what happened after he's released? There is now a new group of followers, you know, for this organization that have either no idea that he's in prison or feel that he was wrongly accused. Sure, sure. There's a fantastic interview on the Cults to Consciousness podcast, which I talked about last week or week before, where... They talked to a woman about her experiences in JM- JMS. Um, she joined not having any knowledge of Young's imprisonment. She had no idea he was even in, in jail at the beginning. Um, and then basically, you know, she was told that she should start writing to him as if she were he were her husband. And wow. um, she was asked to go to korea to Mm -hmm. visit him in prison um to have her one-on-one meeting um so it's it's a really great interview uh you should check it out yeah absolutely uh young man sok was uh indicted in south korea on october 28 2022 again they got him again sure for sexually assaulting a former uh, follower from Hong Kong and sexually abusing an Australian follower. On March 13th, 2023, it was reported that JMS's second-in-command, Young Yo-Un, um, stated that there were seven people from the church who were sexually assaulted by Young Mung Sok, of which two were minors. <gasps> mm. She also said that a Providence member said Young Mun Sok gave false testimony. Young Jo Un said in a recorded video that she had tried to prevent female followers from entering within a three meter radius next to Young Mun Sok. So people are then implicated in all of this too. Right. Um, which gets super messy. Um, but that was his second in command mm-hmm. who like openly admits to trying to keep young people away. away. Correct. Wow. Yeah. And um, she probably felt like she was doing the best she could. Yeah. Um, but that is the story of Young Hun Sok and the JMS cult. So TBD, it's still hugely wow. popular. And there's so much Korea. to unpack there. I know. Um, I'm especially interested in the second in command person. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a really unique. It's not uncommon for victims to then become predators in situations like that, right. where you know they're sent out to to get other women to join the organization. Sure. So I hope that there's healing for all of them. I hope so too. I hope so too, and I hope they lock him up. Lock him up for quite some time (laughs) yeah so let's take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna get it positive oh and we're gonna have so much fun we are gonna talk about the princess bride let's do it
And we're back. Hey, we're back. I'm so ready. I'm <laughs> just so prepared. Not mid yawn at all. Okay. All right. Princess Bride. Mm. This movie has everything. Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters. I lost the accent at some point. No, you, I think you nailed it. Thank you so much. Chases, escapes, true love, miracles. Not to mention that some have called this the most quotable movie of all time. I believe it. So quotable, in fact, that I've kept a tally of all the quotes that I have written into this episode. Oh, yay. And then I'm going to go back and upload or update with all the quotes that will inevitably come out of you and I talking about all the quotes in this episode. Perfect. So we can post something on Instagram. Kind of like a jelly bean. How many jelly beans are in this jar? Right. Oh, cute. How many quotes are in this episode? Oh, I love that. So interactive. Thank you so much. Um, And whoever catches them all, maybe we'll send you a little something, something. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride was actually based on a 1973 fantasy novel. Which um, is interesting because that's the book that we actually started this whole episode with. And I forgot you had a copy of. So thank you, you for being you prepared. Now. You're welcome. Um, but when I was your age, television was actually called books. <laughs> One. So that's where we start. For those who have not seen this movie or read the book, here's a quick synopsis from our friends over at IMDb. A bedridden boy's grandfather reads him the story of a farm boy turned pirate who encounters numerous obstacles, enemies, and allies in his quest to be reunited with his one true love. Mm, Have fun storming the gate! (laughs) (laughs) If you want to know why a movie becomes a cult classic, this is the twoo answer. I'll explain it to you and I'll use small words so that you understand. (laughs) Yes! Can you tell I had fun with these notes? All right, so this movie has had a really slow start in the market, like mm. in the on the big screen. Okay, they struggle to market the movie because it is a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's so hard to nail down like what is this movie? Right, who is it for? Who's, Who's the it? audience? It's comedy. It's drama. It's fighting ROUSs. It's pirates. There's a giant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it did fine in theaters, but not great. And it really wasn't until it hit the store as a VHS tape and later a DVD that it started to take off. Um, so in the box office, U.S. alone, it made $26.9 million, which isn't awful. I have no context for whether that's good. Sounds like a lot of money to me. It does, except that it had a $16 million production cost. Where I don't understand how that I really don't I genuinely don't either so but it made less than half right in production or in returns than mm-hmm. did in production cost um though once it hit VHS and DVDs it made an additional 53 million dollars mm-hmm. so that's where it really started to soar yeah um but at first it was not great only mostly dead <laughs> So why did it become a cult classic? I think mostly because every line is quotable. Mm -hmm. It's very well written. It's so... And the book is just as well written as the movie. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One article said that the appeal of the movie is its universality. Quote, everyone can relate to one or more of the subplots in the story. Though I don't know that at any point in this movie is anything relatable. How many times have you been with your previously believed to be dead true love in a fire swamp, trapped in a pit of despair, trying to start a war by killing your bride, seeking revenge on a six-fingered man, or storming a castle? Mm. I don't. I can't say I've done any of those things. At least not this week. No. No. Uh, though true love, revenge, hope, greed, and having a tall friend with a heart of gold are certainly universal. Mm-hmm. At its heart, The Princess Bride is a story of good overcoming evil, and who doesn't love that? So the author of the book is William Goldman, and everyone kind of agreed that it would be a great movie. Like, the book was a hit when it came out in the 70s. Mm-hmm. 
but it never got really far in production. No one could figure out how to turn this thing into a movie until Rob Reiner. So Rob Reiner enters the scene. He loved the book. He'd read it as a kid and had the goal of making it into a movie since he started directing. And it was really important to Reiner that Goldman like his ideas. So in addition to Goldman still having like rights to it because he wrote the book, Mm -hmm. Reiner was like, listen, we need to have a good working relationship. Let's get on the same page. Absolutely. Also, it's like his idol. Oh, absolutely. That's a a bucket list thing. To be able to direct (laughs) your dream movie? movie. Are you kidding? Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. So they started like brainstorming and considering actors for the movie. Remember, they had a small budget. 16 mil is... Oh, teensy. Teensy-weensy, because we know so much about production. Yes, I'm a doctor. So they had to go with folks who are not very well known. Oh, well, Jenny. Jenny, Robin Wright, and uh, Fred Savage from whatever TV show he was in that I don't remember the name of at the moment. This was both of their second role in the movie. Yep. The second one. I don't... I think Forrest Gump came later. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. But second second role for both of them. Huh. Wait. Which character? Buttercup and... So Hill? this is Buttercup and the Grandson. Oh. From the Wonder Years. Got it. Wonder Years. That's the name of the show. Yep. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. This was the first comedic role for Carrie Elwes, who played Wesley, who had previously been in, like, other things. Oh, he's so hot. He's such a pretty boy. Oh, I was telling Ray, I was like, I had such a crush on him. Did you? I did. I definitely had a crush on Buttercup. 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 Um, Love her. As I love her. (laughs) And there will be. What does he say? And there will be peace. (laughs) Something like that. Or something along those lines. (laughs) Yeah. Um... And this was Andre the Giant's first acting role. Hell yeah. Anybody want a peanut? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, Goldman, the author himself, picked Andre the Giant as his first role for Fezzik in the 1970s when he was writing the book or had just finished the book. Oh, wow. So he'd been thinking about this for a minute and he was like, you know who would be perfect for this role? His second choice was, well, let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum it up. Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was at the time a largely unknown actor, was Goldman's second choice, but that was still back in the 70s. So by the 80s, Schwarzenegger had already landed some pretty major roles. So they were like, eh, can't afford him anymore. So they contacted the World Wrestling Federation to hire Andre, but the film conflicted with a wrestling match in Tokyo. Mm, Damn. And it would have been like $5 million to buy him out Mm. of that contract, Mm -hmm. which was a large portion of their budget. So they went on to audition other tall actors, including Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Really? Super fucking random, right? And then two other folks that I'd never heard of, so I did not write their names down. (laughs) Towards the end of casting, Andre's match in Tokyo was canceled, and he was able to play the role of Fezzik. Rumor has it, though, that despite being super strong and a good wrestler, he had chronic pain and was actually fairly weak. So he was not able to lift Princess Buttercup. So in the scenes where he's carrying her, she's actually being held up by a wire. Oh. Sorry to spoil the illusion for you. Well, I noticed that while he's uh, climbing the rope, they do these like really wide shots uh-huh. And there's, like, a mannequin strapped to him with her just kind of, like, bobbing around. <laughs> He's but not- I was wondering whether they filmed that in in reverse. Like, mm. maybe he was, like, being rappelled down. Oh, that's a great and then, question. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then they played it backwards. The answer's unclear this time. I would love to know that information. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about some of the most iconic scenes. Does it... Which of the iconic, which scene stands out to you the most? Like, when you think of this movie, is there one that just jumps out to you and you're like, yes, Princess Bride? 
I love the oh god the whole movie's good uh the pits of despair pits of despair um storming the castle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um the witch couple love them yes so max miracle max miracle max let's talk about miracle max for a minute so miracle max uh is billy crystal yes which I just watched um, when Harry met Sally yesterday. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Link up there. So Rainier gave Billy Crystal and Carol Kane, who was Miracle Max's wife, uh, the freedom to like ad lib some of their own lines. We love that. They spent time brainstorming together before the meeting, and when they got together with the rest of the cast, they just kind of did their thing. It seems really authentic. Yes. So, one of the most famous lines that was completely ad-libbed um, was, Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world, except for a nice MLT, mm-hmm. a little mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich, where the mutton is lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so, apparently, Rainier had to walk away from the shoot during this scene oh. because he was laughing so hard. I love that. And several other cast members were like the oh gosh who was it it may have been um the actor who plays Inigo Montoya Mm -hmm. says that the only injury he sustained on set was a bruised rib from trying not to laugh that's at Miracle Max uh we love Miracle Max love it um I also love I'm not a witch I'm your wife I'm not a witch I'm your wife yep um I also love the fight scene with Wesley and Indigo. Yes. Uh, there's something you should know. I am not left-handed. I am not left-handed. I think one of my favorites is the Battle of Wits. Mm. So, Iacane powder is not real. Good to know. Very good to know, because it is odorless and tasteless. Right. And you I've would never been know. developing a tolerance for it. Sure. Um... And I just think that it's one it's one of the least quotable scenes, I think, other than I've been developing a tolerance for it. But uh-huh. it's so intellectual and it goes so fast. Yeah, it does. But anyone starts to quote any piece of that scene and you can automatically just envision everyone there and where they're seated and what's going on. You know, what's interesting is the, the scene following, directly following when Bu- Buttercup's like, uh, at all that time, the poison was in your glass. And he's like, whoa, you you know, and he gets all, like, puffed up about, like, her, like, you know, because uh-huh. she's like, whatever ransom you want, like, he'll pay it. Like, and she's like, right. he's like, your true love will play. And she's like, I never said he was my true love. And then he says something like, where I come from, some uh, punishment words- for when a woman lies. Yeah. <laughs> I was like. I don't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) It gets a little dark. Yeah, it does. It gets a little dark sometimes. There was a, there was like a whole monologue of like some sexist quotes. Also, I wish that Buttercup were as badass as all the other male characters. Yeah, me too. Um, So missed opportunity. Right. It was written in the 70s, which is both an excuse and a justification. It's a product of its time. (laughs) Yeah. Written in the 70s by a man. That checks out. Yep. Okay, so back to the sword fighting, because that's really where it's at. So, Wesley and Indigo both learned to fence for the movie. They were trained by the same swordsmen who helped design the fights for the Star Wars movies. Ooh! Pew, 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 pew. So... Bob Anderson, who's a Canadian Olympic fencer, and Peter Diamond, who's a swordsman and stuntman, neither of whom were left-handed, <laughs> um, trained Wesley and Indigo to fight. They apparently took this and just ran with it. So they practiced onset, offset. They learned each other's parts mm. to reduce the accidents. And can you imagine learning your part left-handed, your part right-handed, and then the other person's part left-handed and right-handed? Right, right. That's a lot of... I mean, it's it's four minutes of straight... Sword fighting. Yeah. It's like and a dance. 
so it's not only sword fighting it's sword fighting while having dialogue dialogue and doing these incredible stunts Mm -hmm. and being hilarious Mm -hmm. all at the same and like the comedic timing is just nailed in every shot it's so good i love when he's like the rope has been cut and he's like quit like on the edge of the cliff and and it goes like I hate waiting. And he's like, what if I swear on my myself as a Spaniard? And he's like, no, no, too many Spaniards. <laughs> I'm far less likely <laughs> yeah. to believe or to trust you. Yeah. And then um, he's like, I swear on my father's grave or, you know, whatever he says. And he's like, throw me the rope. You will not die you are. before you, will, you reach the top. You will reach the top alive. God is so good. And then he gets up there and then they bond and then they fight each other, sort of. But respectfully, the, with respect- so much respect. Yes. He's like, who are you? He's like, I won't tell you. No. Mm-mm. I am no one to mess with. Mm-mm. Or whatever he says. I didn't really have a point. That's okay. This is the most quotable movie <laughs> of all time. We can literally just talk about the quotes over and over. Okay. One of the most inconceivable things about this film is that it inspired... The quote-unquote quote-along. Okay. Which sounds similar to a shadow cast like we would experience in Rocky Horror, but without the shadow cast. And just lots and lots of audience participation. Hmm. But I'm hooked. I want to do this. I'm going to tell you all about it. It started at the Alamo Draft House, which is a cinema chain in Austin, Texas. And they brought folks in and had a number of rules. So the the audience rules were to boo along with the old hag. Mm, perfect. Yep, yep. Boo. Boo. Ring bells during the gross kissing stuff. Oh. Yeah. Is this a kissing book? What? There's a little bit of kissing. There this is very rocky. Okay, keep going. Groan in the pit of despair. Mm. Blow bubbles when Princess Buttercup is freed at the end. Beautiful. Uh, Smack your forehead each time inconceivable is uttered. (laughs) Which just sounds hilarious to watch, like, a room full of grown folks. Smack your forehead. And then shout, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. While waving a large inflatable sword, first in your left hand, then switching to your right when the time is appropriate. Wow. Yep. So you have props, you have things to say and callbacks, and then you can quote as much of the script as you desire. Oh, fun. So to be honest, I would 1000% do all of this. Oh, absolutely. And why do we not do this in Greensboro? How do we get it set up? We can make it happen. As you wish. (laughs) In recent years, there have been murmurings of a remake. No, what? A remake? A remake. No. No, and no. People have lost their minds. I bet. You can't. You can't. So I'm about to read to you some of the most unhinged, not unhinged in like the unhinged way, but like unhinged in the who said this kind of way. Okay. Series of tweets. What Ooh. do we call them now that it's no longer Twitter? Twats. Uh, excellent. Twats, which is very fitting because <laughs> our first one's from Ted Cruz. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so Ted Cruz, upon um, uh, hearing the announcement that Sony Pictures Entertainment says that they are going to redo The Princess Bride, says no... Sony, the princess bride is the greatest thing in the world, except for a nice MLT, muttonless and tomato sandwich, where the mutton is nice and lean and the tomato is ripe. They're so perky. I love that. Don't mess with perfection. So Ted Cruz is a princess bride fanatic. That's fair. Listen, that's the smartest thing he's ever said. Carrie Bradshaw and Elwes who was uh, Wesley, tweeted, quote, there's a shortage of perfect movies in the world. It would be a shame to damage this one. That's so fair. So fair. Also, nobody's asking for it. You know what I mean? Literally no one wants you to remake this movie. All we want is for NSYNC to do a reunion tour. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Are you ready for this next one that's totally out of left field? At least it was for me. Yes. 
Jamie Lee Curtis tweeted. Oh, thank God. Because she's married to the six-fingered man. Are you kidding? No. (gasps) I had no idea. I had no idea. I love Jamie Lee Curtis, and I love The Princess Bride, and now, how did I not know that there was a link-up? Oh, I had no idea. So, and Jamie Lee Curtis basically said there can only be one Princess Bride. That is fair. I support her. As we all do. As we all should. My favorite tweet, though, is from a fan. Uh, the fan's name is Blazy Gardner. Yeah, Sure. Is. And they say... Haha, the fools. They fell victim to one of the classic blunders, the most famous of which is, quote, never get involved in a land war in Asia. <laughs> but only less slightly well-known is this. Never remake a classic Rob Reiner movie or death will be on the line. That's so funny. Which is that's the amazing. greatest tweet of that's all amazing. time. So great. Um, I wonder if she's a Sicilian. <laughs> <laughs> So, in short, good night, good work, sleep well. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. Oh, I love it. I love it, love it, love it. I think the the when I was younger, I always thought that the juxtaposition of the kid being sick was really weird with the storyline. Because yeah. every time it was interrupted, I was like, what the fuck is going on? But as an adult, I really appreciate it. I do, too. And I think... So, the book is written that way, too, right? No. No? Mm-mm. Or is the book just the story? It's just the story. Ooh, interesting. So, yeah, I I think I like it even more, then, that they, like, impose this little kid who's sick on this great story. Mm-hmm. Because it keeps you in the mind frame that this is a story being right, told. Right, that it's a book. It's magical. Yeah. Like, it has an ethereal element mm-hmm. that... You don't have to separate from reality because we so all true. went in knowing that this was a book. So true. I love that. Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, it's so good. It's so good. It's got dream sequences. The only thing it doesn't have is a song. There's no musical element here. There is no musical element. And I'm element. fine with that in this yeah, case. Yeah, I am too. Um, that would be my only note is it feels like a movie that could handle a musical sequence at some point. Maybe like a maybe like a group song of like the drunken knightsmen. Yes, you know, yeah, not in Monty Python Mm -hmm. way. That would be too much. Yes, but like just a little. But it has some of the same elements a little bit, you know. It does, and how the absurd absurdity, Mm -hmm. um, especially in the fire swamp, is very much giving. Yeah, Monty Python. I mean, who comes up with that shit? (laughs) There's so many things. There's the hill, rolling down the hill. That's like a childhood thing. Yes. Going into the woods, giant rats who, you know, that had to have come from somewhere. They're technically R-O-U-S's. Technically. Though I don't don't think they exist. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Then there's the fire, uh, then there's the uh, pits of despair with the... The albino. The albino guy. Which we did not talk about. (laughs) (laughs) You're never going to get out of (laughs) here. Yeah, it's just so good. And it's so comforting. And like as children, we would watch it when we were sick. Yeah. So it's got a special place in my heart. Mine too. Um, No, I I love this movie. And I love... um, I think that... Like, seeing the... It's sort of got the Cinderella-esque elements, right? Like, poor farm girl. And then she's supposed to marry a prince, Prince Humperdinck. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that she doesn't. Like, that's not as common a storyline as the poor yeah. farm girl who marries the prince and lives happily ever after. Right. Like, this is a much more interesting... Right. She just gets scooped up by her ex-boyfriend, who supposedly was dead, and then... Right, right. Yeah, she, she needs some more... being attempted to be murdered... Correct. ...to start a war. Yeah, she needs a little bit more of a, a role, I would say. Only feedback, yeah. you know, Team Buttercup. Sure, give sure. Give her some more content. How is this both the most relatable and least relatable movie? Like, there's, you know... I would say uh, there have been other less relatable movies. I would agree with about that. About plants that eat people... 
for example. And T-Rexes that, you know, walk around and... Kill people. Yeah. Yeah. So So on the relatability scale for all the cult movies we've done, Mm -hmm. I would say this one's on the higher end of relatability. This is... This is one that I will intentionally watch again. And probably tonight, actually. Yeah. Over Um, and over and over again. It's so good. Also, let us know what you think about Princess Bride. What's your favorite line, most quotable scene? Um, We love to hear from you. We sure would. If you have not left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, what are you doing, you silly goose? head on over and leave us a five-star review that helps us a lot helps the algorithm it helps more people see us helps more people know that we are a credible podcast and here to bring all of your history psychology and cult nonsense to you every week Absolutely. If you have not become a patron, head on over to patreon.com slash podcast without an audience. You can also visit our link on Instagram. It'll take you right there. Um, What's up for grabs is our pasta recipe from season one, our cocktail recipes from season two, and other just random recipes that we've just kind of been adding as they, you know, as it feels right in our hearts. The Thanksgiving pasta salad Mm -hmm. and Princess Bride might be the theme of the evening for me. I love it. Amen. Amen. Perfect. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at pod without an odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanodd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.